0: Y'all can have a seat. I wasn't planning on uh, sharing this, but as we were worshiping, I just felt like the Lord kind of laid it on my heart. But um, some of you may have heavy hearts. Um, I I don't know what you're going through, what your life is like right now. Maybe there's been some life-altering transition, change, whatever, or you've gone through something and your heart is just heavy. Um, I'm reminded of this this verse, and I think it's a remedy for heavy hearts. It's Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Um, if your heart is heavy, you can bring it before the Lord. Uh, he'll sustain you. It means he'll, he'll take care of you. He'll, he'll, he'll put you where you need to be even while you have that, that heavy heart. And the place you need to be in the midst of that heavy heart is with him. Uh, so stick to staying in his word Uh, worshiping, praying, even when you don't feel like it. Because trust me, there will be days you don't feel like opening God's word. There will be days where you don't feel like praying. There will be days where you don't even feel like coming to church. But stick with it. The the enemy wants you to stop reading your Bible. The enemy wants you to stop praying and stop worshiping and stop going to church. The enemy wants all that for you. But if you can continue on with that in the midst of your heavy-hearted season, uh, God will pull you through it. He won't just pluck you out of it. Sometimes you've got to go through it. Uh, but if you've got a heavy heart today, just know that he can handle your heavy heart. Uh, we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Uh, it's 13 verses. So my prayer is that um, that clock stays wrong for the rest of the service. So I don't worry about time. Um, But it's 13 verses, we're going to tackle it all together. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, but today is also Palm Sunday, uh, where Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? Uh, Okay, I asked our pre-huddle group this, but here's a trivia question. Okay, what did the group of people lay down on the floor? They said the same thing. Cloaks, they're cloaks. They laid their cloaks down and they waved. Okay, all right. That's okay. At least you know that there were palm branches in there somewhere. So that's good. Uh, but many of us are, are familiar with the story uh, of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. We've either heard it in Sunday school. We've been in church enough to hear it on a Sunday morning on Palm Sunday. Or we may have uh, heard it somewhere somewhere else, uh, even uh, just for the significance of what it what it represents, we've heard we've heard it somewhere, uh, but Matthew twenty one gives a, a, a detailed account of Jesus's triumphal entry. Jesus tells his disciples to go into the village, right, and in the village they would find a donkey uh, tied and a colt with it. A colt uh, was a donkey that had never had anyone ride on it before. Uh, and they, they were supposed to tell the owners of the donkey that the Lord had need of it. Now, now the Lord set this up perfectly. Like, uh, they go into town, they get the donkey, the, the master of the donkey is, is saying, well, what do you need it for? The Lord has need of it, gives, him his, gives them his donkey, and then Jesus would ride on this donkey. A uh, donkey ultimately signifying peace. And I mean, he could have come on anything, uh, but he came on a donkey. Uh, again, like I told the... Our volunteer team, he could have gone into the future and grabbed a Corvette or a Lamborghini and rode into Jerusalem and, and done it that way, but he picked a donkey. Uh, he, he picked a donkey out of all creatures to ride on. He picks a donkey, ultimately, symbolizing really that he is the Prince of Peace, uh, that he, he came to bring peace. But Jesus would ride on this donkey and the crowd would shout Hosanna in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 21. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Matthew gives detail into the city's response to Jesus' triumphal entry. I, I love this verse. It says in verse 10. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. The whole city was stirred up. And guess what Jesus still does today? He still stirs up cities. He comes into our individual lives and he stirs us up and helps us to recognize our need for him. Because you and I have a great need and it's Jesus Christ. And because he is our greatest need, most logical and sensible thing to do is just to come to him. Nothing else but Jesus Jesus is our greatest need and he, he even has the peace that we're, we're looking for since he is, one of his many titles, the Prince of Peace. He doesn't, all, he doesn't just come with peace, he also comes with freedom and liberty. In Luke chapter 4, Verse 18, Jesus is in the temple and he opens up this scroll and it's a scroll from Isaiah and Jesus is reading about himself in Luke chapter 4 verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was sent on mission to save you and I, to set us free. To give us liberty. That's good news this morning. I hope you realize that. And listen, Jesus didn't just come in on a donkey to put on a performance. He didn't just come in through the gate. And he didn't just come in wanting to be acknowledged. Like, look at me, look at me. Like, he was a humble king. And this entrance ultimately signified that. But he rode into Jerusalem to signify that he is the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, and King of Kings. He wrote into Jerusalem to signify that he was about to bring freedom to those who were bound to the law and chained to their sin, and he still does that today. But it's interesting to note, Paul would ultimately ride into Corinth in kind of the same way, maybe not on a donkey, but through a letter, really reinstating to the Corinthians what they had in Christ, and that was freedom, liberty. And so if you're at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let's go ahead and stand and we'll read the chapter together. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. are all things and through him through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. My brother, stumble. Lord, this is your word. And God, we ask that you would speak to us through it. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me. God, that it would ultimately be your words that we hear. Lord, we need your words because they are life-giving, life-changing. Lord, and we need our minds renewed on a daily basis, Lord. So I pray that through your word this morning, you would renew our minds. And that we would focus on what you're trying to say to us. What you want to say to us this morning. So, Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now right off the bat, I know some of you who are big meat eaters are reading verse 13. Like, really Paul, you had to say that? Like, I will never eat meat? Okay, we'll get into that. Uh, but, verse one, Paul is obviously talking about a whole different topic other than what he was talking about in the previous chapters. Uh, he says now, concerning food offered to, offered to idols, if you remember in the Uh, Chapter 7, Paul was talking about marriage, singleness, widowhood. He was talking about a believer being married to an unbeliever. And now Paul transitions out of that topic and he goes into another topic. And it's really another issue that was happening within the Corinthian church. And it was this, it was food offered to idols. Now for some of us it may be completely irrelevant to our context today. Because most of us are not worried about the meat that's in front of us. If it's been offered to an idol or not, uh, most of us are just glad to eat that big juicy burger and not give any second thought to it, right? (laughs) Amen. Uh, But Paul, when he says food, you have to understand that that word is not all food. It's meat. And there was something that was going on with the meat in Corinth. Corinth. Uh, In the context of Corinth, so we have a better understanding, at the center of the Greco-Greco, I know it's funny, it almost sounds like I'm saying gecko, Greco-Roman cities were temples, and every temple in the city uh, had a god. Uh, There were temples all over the city for every type of God, especially in Corinth. Remember their main temple, which was situated on the highest point in Corinth, was a a temple that was dedicated to the Greek goddess Aphrodite, who was the goddess of sex and and pleasure. Uh, They worshipped gods like that. Uh, But these temples were not places uh, that had uh, frequent gatherings like we would in our worship uh, services today, the temples of Paul's day housed the image of its God. Uh, the statue, this thing on a, 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 a podium, uh, and, and they would worship this God. Uh, the pagans of Corinth would sacrifice animals, this is obviously where we get the meat, uh, to their God. They, they would sacrifice whatever type of meat they had, normally outside of the temple, right in front of it. The question is, okay, well, did the God always eat all of the meat that was sacrificed? Uh, According to history, no, they wouldn't. And so they would have leftover meat. But the question is, what would they do with that leftover meat? They would either eat it on the temple grounds. Remember, this was meat offered to an idol, a, a, a false god, lowercase g god. And they would either eat it or they would sell it to vendors who would then sell it in their meat market. The question is, when would they eat the meat? One instance we talked about would be after they were done sacrificing this meat over to the God, whatever leftover they had, they would partake of that. Uh, they would participate in explicitly religious pagan ceremonies, which Paul, as we'll see in chapter 10, once we get to there, he calls demonic he, he says what they're doing is absolutely demonic. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, he says, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. He says, I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons or demons. Do you remember the confusion in Corinth that existed? Uh, this, this pagan city was so steeped in idol worship that when, the, when Paul came and proclaimed the gospel, they were freed from that idol worship, but they were so confused because they, they just didn't have this understanding, the knowledge that Paul speaks of. And so they wrote to Paul. They, they said, Paul, uh, kind of confused. I mean, we see these mature believers eating meat, but we're younger believers. We're not, we're not sure what, what to do. The question that the Corinthians were asking was, essentially, should we eat the meat? Because, after all, most of it's been offered to idols. To, to us, like I mentioned, it may seem completely irrelevant. Many of us don't have an issue of eating meat. Does anybody... Dislike In N Out? If you do, let's talk afterwards because we got some. <laughs> Tyrone? Yes. As a matter of fact, let's go there for lunch. Yeah. Oh, bummer. But we don't look at our burgers or our meat and think, gosh, I wonder if this was a sacrifice to the, the Wahi Guru over at the Sikh temple, one of their gods. Right? We don't look at our burger like, man, I, I wonder if it was offered. To any idol, we don't, we don't consider that. We just stuff our face with meat. <laughs> we simply will just partake of it. And some Christians in this context of, of Corinthians chapter 8, they were judging others who had no problem eating the meat offered to idols. And not only that, but the other issue was that is the, the mature believers were at liberty to do that because of the knowledge they possessed. We'll get into that in just for a minute. But you may never be judged for eating a big, juicy burger. You may never be judged for that. But you may be judged for shopping at Target. You may be judged for getting coffee from Starbucks. You may be judged for letting your kids trick or treat on Halloween night. yeah you may be judged for even going to a movie. oh boy, watch out for those movies, or you may be judged because you like to listen to secular music, or you may be judged because you went to Disneyland, you know there's a bunch of demons in that place. You got to be careful. listen your no no list, my no no list as a Christian may be different than someone else's. We may have liberty to listen to secular music. We may have liberty to go to Disneyland. Uh, I wouldn't encourage anybody to watch Disney right now, uh, but if you go to Disneyland, caution. (laughs) Especially in the day and age we live in. But listen, these are gray areas. These are gray areas that we all have to deal with because scripture, last time I checked, doesn't make any mention of Disneyland. Disneyland. Is it in your Bible? Because it's not in mine. But let me state this. Scripture is explicitly clear as to what is sin. Uh, Paul has a number of places where he lists off of vices or sins. Uh, Galatians 5.19-21, through 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. These are specific sins. And then we come up to the gray areas of life. Like the one, should I shop at Target? Should I drink Starbucks? Should I let my kids trick or treat? Should I listen to ACDC or Johnny Cash? Should I take my kids to Disneyland Should I eat meat offered to idols? See, these are the the issues that you and I will run into oftentimes. It's not so much the meat issue, but the other issues. Uh, I like to wear vans. I know people who dislike vans, and I've been judged for wearing vans. If you wear vans, right on. (laughs) The problem is with the gray areas of life, everyone has an opinion on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Everybody will tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. God's word doesn't tell us if we should shop at Target or Hobby Lobby. God's word doesn't tell us if we should drink Starbucks or Pete's coffee. I like them both. Should I let my kids trick or treat or should I give them veggies on Halloween night? How cruel. Come on. Should I listen to AC, DC, or skillet? (laughs) If I go swimming. Should I wear a one-piece or a two-piece? Guys, you know the answer to that. <laughs> don't, don't let your minds wander with that. Should I homeschool my kids or should I let them go to public school? Should I take my ki- kids to Disneyland or Thunderland? Should I eat in and out or The Habit? in and out The right answer is in and out But the church in Corinth had some gray areas. And Paul addresses how to deal with them. And this one, this issue is one in six that Paul addresses. Uh, The other one was a believer being married to an unbeliever was an issue. And then divorce obviously was an issue. Uh, But in verse one we read this. It says, we know that all possess knowledge. But the knowledge that Paul refers to, he's saying... This knowledge puffs up. He says, but love builds up. The quotations, if you have... Your Bible in front of you, uh, there's quotations around all possessed knowledge. Now, this wasn't included in the original manuscripts, but the trans- transcribers would have included this because it was a slogan that the Corinthian believers used in their day. And so it is here, and I'm glad it is here because it helps us to understand what Paul is referring to and what he's talking about. He's talking about the knowledge uh, that ultimately leads to pride. This was more of a slogan though it was something that they continually said the word knowledge was used in reference to the mature believers in Corinth who possessed a greater understanding of the word of God. Now there's nothing wrong with understanding, having knowledge of the word of God, but if you are going to use the word of God to tear another believer down, don't use the word of God at all. Now there is a season where we are to come alongside of people and rebuke and, 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 and uh, correct. Yes, I believe in that, but it needs to be done in grace. Grace. And so this word knowledge was a direct reference to the mature believers in Corinth. And they ultimately possessed a greater understanding of the word of God compared to the newer believers. Of course that's true. Do you remember when you first gave your life to Christ and how little you knew about the word of God? Yeah, I can remember. I didn't know very much at all. But I knew I needed a savior and I knew that this book had power in it and I needed to read it. I may have not known a lot about it, But listen, if you know somebody who is a a younger believer in the Lord, your job is not to destroy them with the word of God. It's to disciple them with the word of God. But Paul is pointing out that these believers, uh, they had prideful knowledge. They had knowledge that just made their heads huge. They could barely fit into the, the, the door a knowledge that snuffed their nose at younger believers who didn't know what they knew. But listen, you can't expect a younger believer in Christ to know what a mature believer in Christ knows. Somebody who has been walking with the Lord for years and years and years and who has made their life all about studying the word of God. A new believer, is, like we read in the opening chapters, are babes in Christ. They're young in Christ. And so prideful knowledge is what Paul is saying here. And he's ultimately saying this. He's saying, just because you know something doesn't give you the freedom to snuff your nose at a younger believer. I can't believe they would do that. Well, take them to God's word. Did you show them why they, they, they shouldn't be doing that? Why, why God's word says what God's word says in a certain instance? But listen, chances of a newer believer knowing what a seasoned believer knows is very unlikely. That is why we are called to disciple, to come alongside of younger believers. Paul says, you may know more. And he's talking to the mature believers. He's saying, you may know more, but you're inflated with knowledge. And your knowledge, you're becoming prideful. And last time I checked, pride is sin. And Paul is saying, you're misusing the knowledge that you have. So what are we to do? What were they to do? Point number one, operate out of love. It does a great disservice to the body when seasoned believers become overly seasoned with salt. Now, salt is a good thing, right? But how many of you have accidentally added too much salt into something that you were cooking? Yeah, oh yeah. And the people around you trying to eat it, they're trying to compliment you the best they can, but you put way too much salt in there. I did this the other day. But what happens when you have too much salt? The food that's in front of you, it becomes distasteful. It's just overpowering, and you're just, I don't want it anymore. Uh, We're supposed to be uh, salty, yes, but not in the essence of just being overbearing, just pouring on the salt, pouring it on until there, there's mounds of salt on a person. See, oftentimes those who have been walking with the Lord for a while can be, become so critical to new believers. If you have been walking with the Lord for quite some time, listen, your job and my job as older believers to younger believers, is not to lash out at them, but to lovingly come alongside of them, to help them see the word of God and how to apply it to their lives. Paul says this knowledge that the Corinthians had, it would, it would puff up. But then he says, love builds up. The term builds up, it, by definition it is to edify to strengthen, to develop another person's life through acts and words of love and encouragement. This is what the mature believer is called to do uh, with the younger believer, is to disciple, build up, not tear down. See, Paul would go further into this, and we'll get to 1 Corinthians 13 eventually, but knowledge without love is, is what he's saying. He says you've got knowledge, but your love is missing. And in First Corinthians thirteen, two, he says, "And if I have prophetic prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." Paul is saying, "Operate out of love." The problem with these seasoned believers is that they were speaking the truth, but it was not tactfully. It was not in in an approach with grace. Their knowledge turned to pride. Their pride turned to lovelessness. And their lovelessness turned to destruction. See, whenever you and I are standing from a critical place towards another person, it does two things. It it destroys a person. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. You've been uh, criticized harshly. You know how, how that destroys you. But it also quenches the spirit at work in the life of a new believer. The spirit of God is doing a work in these believers' lives. And for us as mature believers to come alongside and snuff our noses at these younger believers is quenching the spirit of God. So my encouragement to us is if we know a lot of the word Don't hang it over a a new believer and be like, "Ah, look what I know. You don't know this. That's not building up. See, our job is to disciple, not destroy. Verse two through three, it says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So listen, the minute you think you know it all, is the minute you know nothing at all, and it's true, think about it, uh, do you, you know those people who are always right, like they could never be wrong if you're sitting next to that person, don't bump them, don't make it obvious or anything like that, <laughs> but you know, even you yourselves, I'm, I know sometimes I can stand in such a place where I think, nope, I'm right, you're wrong. And you may be right, but if you're not standing with love and in love towards that other person, they're probably not going to hear you out. If your knowledge is with a lack of love, it's not really knowledge at all. I've heard this said, and you probably heard it said before too, people won't, will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. So do you care about that for a person first before you can let them know how much you know. If your knowledge isn't given with love, it makes no sense to give it in the first place. Just keep it to yourself. These older believers were nitpicking everything these young believers were doing, especially when it came to food offered to idols or meat offered to idols. And it was ultimately ungracious criticism, which would be later... uh, Uh, incorporated with or these two would be incorporated with ungracious criticism anger and rudeness but listen if you are a person who is ungraciously critical ask the Lord to help you rearrange your criticism I, I believe we need godly criticism but when it is ungracious it doesn't help at all Uh, You've maybe heard this acronym before, but the next time you go to criticize someone, whether it be, uh, hopefully it's godly criticism, think about it first. Maybe maybe you've seen this, but T, is it thoughtful? If how you're about to criticize this person, is it thoughtful? Are you actually thinking of this person's interest or or, or best interest? Uh, What about H? H is helpful. Is what you're about to say, is it helpful? I is it inspiring? Criticism, godly criticism, can be inspiring. You can use godly criticism to inspire somebody to continue to walk closer to the Lord. Needful, n, right? Not every criticism is needful. K, kind, is it kind? See, I really believe godly criticism takes prayer. It takes tact, tactfulness. It, It takes a willingness to actually want to come alongside of a younger believer and help them understand. And I believe that proper theology. And Paul Paul pretty much alludes to this. He says, Uh, But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Proper theology of God, a proper understanding of God will contribute to us giving criticism from a place of love rather than pride. Because proper theology of God is ultimately what Jesus commanded us to do, to love God and to love our neighbor. The love for God, your love for God characterizes you as a believer. But not only that, your love for your neighbor also characterizes you. Because Jesus says this is the greatest uh, commandment. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So listen, if you hate ungracious criticism, then stop giving it to others. Those who are known by God ultimately will display love, right? Jesus says they will know you are my disciples by the what? The love you have for one another. So knowledge Minus love equals destruction. Now, Paul gets into the main discussion. After laying a basis down for how the Corinthians were supposed to proceed with this, he, he, he says, okay, the issue, obviously, you've mentioned it, it's meat offered to idols. And he says in verse 4 through 6, he says, Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul here is specifically addressing idols. What is an idol? An idol is anything that takes the place of the one true God in someone's life. 1 John 5.21, John specifically writing to Christians says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And you know what that is, and I know what that is. Ask yourself, do I have an idol Do I have an idol in my heart that has taken the place of God's position in my heart? And Paul alludes to this. He goes on to say, he says, he says they're really these idols. They have no real existence. They're fake. They don't really exist. They're man-made. Listen to what Jeremiah writes about idols in Jeremiah 10.5. He says their idols are like scarecrows. (laughs) Have you seen anybody worshiping a scarecrow? He he gives detail to this. These scarecrows are in cucumber fields, okay? And they cannot speak. Aren't you glad that we have a God who speaks? Listen, they have to be carried. Our God carries us. We don't have to carry our God. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither is it in them to do good. The gods who did not make the heavens and earth, aren't you glad that our God made the heavens and the earth? Those fake gods, they all perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Paul is essentially referring to polytheism, uh, the belief in many gods. I didn't have time to list out uh, how many different religions have more than one god, but to start with, Hindus have over 33 million gods. Buddhists have 28 gods. But what does Paul say about our God? He says he's the one true God, which in essence is monotheism. It's the belief in one God. Uh, This is what Paul is saying. He is saying that there is only one God, and humanity did not create him, he created humanity. Why did he create humanity? Paul gives that answer too. He ultimately is saying so we would know that our purpose is found in Jesus. He says he created us. We exist for him, for his good pleasures. And so if you're looking for purpose, it's found in Jesus. We were created for him, to bring glory to him. No idol will give you purpose or fulfillment or acceptance or forgiveness. No God laid down their life for their followers except our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our oldest uh, child was hanging out with a friend one day who is Muslim. And I don't know how they got on this topic. I'm not sure if I mentioned it before, but the topic of God came up. And how it got to where it got to, I'm, I'm not sure from the start, but the, the question the Muslim girl asked was, your God died for you? Only one God would do that. And that's our God. Listen, only God would send his one and only son for the people he created. But Paul goes on to say, not everyone believes this. In verse seven, however, not all possess this knowledge. But some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Paul is saying not everyone has this knowledge which is the knowledge that Jesus is Lord and that there is only one God. There were still people in Corinth worshipping these pagan gods still sacrificing outside of the temple. The problem was, is that many of the strong believers agreed with Paul. Uh, They said, yes, idols are not even real. Yes, there's only one God. Uh, These idols, yes, we agree with that too, that they're man-made. And so they were at liberty to eat the meat. They were at liberty to eat the meat because they were in agreement with Paul. Because Paul said, it doesn't really matter. It's meat. The younger believers were not there though. They were not in the place that they could forget their past and what Jesus had freed them out of or freed them from. Paul says, listen, at at the end of the day, this meat really makes no difference. He says, we are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. He says, so that's not the issue. The issue is not eating meat that's offered to idols. Verse 9 through 13, he, he says, here's the problem. He says, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So these mature believers had the liberty to eat the meat that was offered to idols without their conscience being defiled. But these younger believers did not have the liberty to eat the meat. This is what Paul is saying. He says, just because you have the liberty to eat the meat doesn't mean you should be doing that right in front of your brother or sister. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? Meaning, if he sees you, how do you know he's not going to do what you're doing because you've been walking with the Lord longer? How do you know that younger believer isn't going to follow your example? He says, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Point number two is this, love must limit freedom. One of the blessings that we have in Christ as believers, is liberty, is freedom. Jesus came to set the captives free. Uh, freedom from our past, freedom from our slavery to sin, freedom from being bound to the world's darkness. And you may think, well, I'm an American. I already have all the freedom that I need. No. All the freedom that you could long for is in Christ. See, the freedom that Christ offers is a freedom that this country cannot. And the mature believers in this, in, in Corinth were Experiencing this freedom, they were enjoying it, they were enjoying the freedom from their sin, freedom from walking in darkness, they were enjoying just the fact that they could they could have liberty to do that which wasn't going to sear their conscience or make them weak again, but they were using their freedom in liberty to cause another to stumble. How so? See many of the young believers could not eat meat without recalling the past religious Associations. Many of them practiced offering their meat to idols. And any time they would see a mature believer eating meat that was offered to idol, it would cause them to stumble in their conscience. Why? Because Romans fourteen twenty three, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If they could not operate out of faith, then it was sin. If what you're doing is not from faith, for us as well, it it is sin. The new believers in Corinth, they could not eat meat offered to idols in faith. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it in Jesus' name because they felt like they were being defiled. They were not at the place where their past was completely erased. They were free from that lifestyle, most definitely. But they were babes in Christ, learning how to walk with Jesus. But here's where they, the mature believers, were abusing their freedom. They knew what God had freed these younger believers from. And it was a lifestyle of idol worship. And yet they were abusing their liberty and almost rubbing, rub, rubbing, rubbing it in their face, saying, "Look what we can do." Verse 11, it says, "And so by your knowledge." this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died. So what would that look like for today? Let's say one of us had a past of alcoholism or drunkenness. We, we just, every night we would get drunk. And you come to church, you give your life to Christ or somebody leads you to Christ and you, you come to church and you get connected with a group and And they knew this group, whoever invited you out to dinner, knew you had past dealings with alcohol and and, and they knew that God had freed you from all that and yet you chose to drink in front of them. Causing that new believer to think, well man, because this person's mature, that must mean that I'm able to do that. Causing that younger believer to stumble. And ultimately putting them back in the place that they were free from. Which scripture says if you do that knowingly use your liberty like that you are in sin. Remember what Jesus says how it's better for somebody to tie a millstone around their neck. Than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. It wasn't necessarily children. It was those that were young in the faith. But listen, like Jesus says, second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor. So if you love God, a natural byproduct of that should be loving your neighbor. But love for the other believer, listen, should override your freedom. If you are at liberty to drink, don't do it in front of a new believer that has just been delivered from a lifestyle of alcoholism or drunkenness. Don't do it. Because there is a danger in causing them to stumble and going right back into the same thing. Refrain from it. That's what Paul says. He says, therefore, if food, meat, if it's going to cause my brother to stumble, then I'm just not going to eat it. He's more concerned about the other believer than he was of his own gratification of putting a nice juicy steak in his mouth. Verse 13, therefore, if food... Or let's expound a little bit more. Therefore, if food, if wine, if beer, if secular music, if watching a certain TV show, etc., makes my brother stumble, and I know it, I will never do it lest I make my brother stumble. So how much do you care about the other? And point number three is, is a question. Why should I abstain from what I have freedom to do? In this case, the eating of meat. Right? Why should they abstain from the eating of meat? It was not of any spiritual advantage to them. It was a neutral issue. So what's the big deal? Verse 8, it says, For food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. Then why eat it if it's going to cause someone to stumble? The bottom line is this. Concern for one's fellow Christian should take precedence. That should come first. Uh, our lives should cause others to want to live for Christ, not to stumble. Paul uses this word stumbling block. Uh, He's saying if the way you're living with the freedoms that you have in the Lord is causing your brother or sister to stumble and you know it, he's ultimately saying, I question if you really love your neighbor. Verse nine, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. The bottom line is this, As believers, we should not demand our rights in ways that cause other believers to stumble. You and I have freedom, and we can all say amen to that, right? However, I'm not to use my freedom in such a way that destroys another believer. Your knowledge of what it means to be a follower of Jesus may be greater than a new believer, but your knowledge and your freedom is not meant to destroy. If you get anything out of this message, may it be that. Our call as believers is to build up. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So the bottom line to the whole message is this, knowledge minus love equals destruction. And maybe there's some of us this morning we've abused the freedom we have as a believer and we've caused another one to stumble. Uh, listen, there's forgiveness in Christ. The Bible says that if we cause another believer to stumble, we are in sin just as as much as that younger believer. Or, or maybe you've been ungraciously critical. There's forgiveness. There's forgiveness in Christ. Or maybe this morning you don't even have a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, Listen, he died on the cross for you. If anyone could criticize us, it was him. But what did he do? He forgave us. He died on the cross for us so we could be forgiven of our sins. He rose again from the dead, defeating death, the grave, and hell, and he's coming back. So listen, freedom is in Christ, but we have to use our freedom in a way that is going to draw others to Christ. Let's stand, we'll pray and close out with a chorus. But maybe you've got that heavy heart that I was talking about earlier um, and you just need somebody to pray with or talk to. Um, I'd be happy to talk with you. I know Craig and Cliff and Ian would be as well. But listen, if you've got a heavy heart, don't leave without uh, talking to someone, and, and then praying with that person as well. Now, we're all going through something, but we can all point each other to Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that if we have caused uh, another believer to stumble because of the liberties that we have, Lord, like Scripture says, we are in sin and we need forgiveness, Lord. I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to not abuse our, our freedoms, but ultimately to use our freedoms to point other people closer to you. Lord, may we operate out of love. God, may may our, our freedom be limited by the love we have for others. And Lord, may we seek to build up rather than destroy. And so Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would apply these things to our lives, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So, Lord, we commit our lives to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.